0: Rebel force has penetrated the shield and landed on Endor. So this is where the fun begins.
3: I would just like it officially known to one and all that, yes, I am open to appearing in one of the new Star Wars films.
1: Oh, thank God. There's been a lot of speculation
3: about that, a lot of rumor. You weren't really sure if you were actually interested in the job. I, I know, but I want to clear it all up. I want to go on record and say, yeah, you know, I mean, I, I haven't been asked. George hasn't called me. Uh, you haven't received any calls her emails from Kathleen Kennedy, which is strange for for KK, but I'm just putting it out there that, yeah, I mean, if if the offer came, I'd have to look at it. Who wouldn't? It's Star Wars. But I'm jumping on the bandwagon now. Makes all the sense in the world. I mean, obviously your character has been cloned. (laughs) That's right. Um, But, you know, I wanted to get in on the act. You had Mark Hamill and Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher a few months back, and now you've got Ewan McGregor and and Frank Oz and uh, all of them talking about, yeah, yeah, of course, I would do it. Why not? Why not? So I'll throw my hat in the ring. Why not? Right? It worked for Sam Jackson on a radio show, if I remember correctly. All he had to do was just simply suggest it. But you're fully out there saying, yes, call me. I'm I'm ready to. Well, uh, I'm saying that I would consider it. You know, I mean, I'm, 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 I tell you what, I'm playing it coy. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm not committing, but I'm saying, I would look at it, right? <laughs> Isn't that what they say? Uh, we'll find out. We've got some great quotes from Ewan and McGregor and Frank Oz talking about Star Wars Episode Seven. Also, uh, Lawrence Kasdan, Larry, as we call him here on the Force. Uh, <laughs> <laughs>
1: there it is. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Violation. Violation.
3: Lawrence Kasdan, or Larry as we call him here at Rebel Force Radio, uh, talking in the public, as well as Simon Kinberg. So, big show, chock full of great stuff. We have Terrell Whitlatch from Episode 1. She was the lead creature designer for Phantom Menace. She's going to be in the cantina. Billy D is back, and so much more. But first, introductions in order, as we know that the show is growing by leaps and bounds each and every week. New people joining us, so... Uh, my name is Jason, and with me, my good friend and yours from Chicago, Jimmy Mack. Hey, Jason. Hey,
1: Star Wars fans. Looking forward to getting into all the latest Star Wars news tonight on Rebel Force Radio. We've been busy, Jason. We've been appearing on some other podcasts recently, and uh, I just want to you know say thank you to everyone who has uh, had Jason or myself or both of us at the same time on their shows, and we're constantly updating where we're appearing on our official Rebel Force Radio Facebook page at facebook.com slash Rebel Force Radio. So check it out and support the other podcasts that support Rebel Force Radio.
3: Yeah, it's um, you really have been making the rounds, Jim. I, I, I feel bad. I think you've been doing you've been doing the lion's share of those things. But it seems like that these other podcasts only record when my five-month-old son is awake and needing fed. Yes. There's some, there's something, that, some disturbance in the forest that causes that to be the case. So I'm, um, as you know, I've tried to record some of these things with five-month-old son in tow, and it doesn't always work out very well. Well, sometimes it does work out. I,
1: I listened to a great interview you did on a show called Sequel Cast. I appeared on uh, Geek Sentinel, um, WGN Radio with my friend Bill Leff uh, last last friday and we that were talking- was a great interview if you,
3: yeah, if you is that, fun- that's up on our facebook page right i uh, know that- it's not no? actually
1: you know wgn didn't post that interview oh. sometimes they just post little bits and pieces from throughout the day but i do have a recording of it so if anyone wants to hear it email us at uh show at rebel force radio and we'll float you out in mp3 no problem well especially considering but- the time of day you told me that was really early Yeah, that was at 6.30 in the morning, and it was, uh... Well, considering you go to bed at 2.00, 3.00... Yeah, it was one of those nights for sure. That night I went to bed very late, like at 3.00 a.m., and then up again at 6.00. But you know what? Talking the wars, that's better than the biggest cup of coffee you could give me, because that just gets me up and going. We were also on uh, Frontlines on Mm -hmm. episode 116 of Frontlines. Check out that show, uh... A lot of good things going on over there, and uh, we're on with uh, Big Honkin, or he's just Steve to us now, I guess, Steve Glosson, and his show, Geek Out Loud. Yep. Jason and myself were on that one, talking about starting a fresh era of Star Wars podcasting. I'm just uh, scrolling through our uh, official Facebook page, and it's been very active on Facebook. It's been a great place to go and connect with everything going on as far as Rebel Force Radio is concerned. I'm looking at it all the time. Jason's looking at it. And we're just having a lot of fun connecting with our fresh audience, I should say. A lot of carryovers from the old audience, I'm sure. But uh, we are being exposed to a bigger and larger audience, and that's cool. We are on the show full of Sith. Full of sick. Oh, yeah,
3: right. Yeah, with uh, Brian Young and Consetta uh, and Parker. Star Wars Underworld. Um, God, just Well, you know, it's a lot busier in the Star Wars podcast world than when we first started. It sure <laughs> is, man. It sure is. Oh, everybody wants to get into the act. Yeah, but um, you know, but it, it's just been yeah. great. So
1: keep in touch with us on Facebook, and you will get all the latest updates concerning our appearances, both on podcasts. And at conventions or at film openings, we'll be talking about the uh, premiere, the red carpet premiere of Chris Mock's new film, The Force Within Us. More details on that coming Mm. up later on in the show and a lot more. So uh, Facebook is the place. iTunes, StitcherRadio.com or RebelForceRadio.com is the place to get this show. And we're so happy that you're here with us this week to talk about the wars.
0: (laughs)
2: I have good news for you, my lord. That's good news. Come closer. I have good news.
3: All right, let's get right to it. Lawrence Kasdan making the rounds. Speaking of talking wars, he's talking wars. Talking wars. Uh, The uh, Hero Complex, which is a blog over at the L.A. Times, uh, has a piece up about uh, Lawrence Kasdan. He's actually making some very public comments about his return to Star Wars. He was apparently at a the Final Draft's Screenwriting Hall of Fame event. He was being inducted and being honored, and there were several uh, uh, up-and-coming and uh, legendary screenwriters to induct Mr. Kasdan, whose body of work is... Uh, well, speaks for itself. Everything from The Big Chill to, you know, little pieces like uh, Empire Strikes Back, things like that. Um, So it's great to have him honored, and it also gives an opportunity for him to go on record to the press about Star Wars. And now, Jim, Lawrence Kasdan, I I just want to kind of set the record straight because there's so much... uh, rumor and there's so much news pouring out that it's it's difficult to kind of keep track of things. So what do we know about Lawrence Kasdan's role in the future of Star Wars? Well, we know a couple of things. We know one that he is writing at least one of maybe two of the standalone films. He's also a consultant on Episode 7 with JJ Abrams and uh Michael Arndt, who's, who's penning that. We also know that as far as the standalone films are concerned, he's collaborating with, um, oh, his name's escaping me all of a sudden. Kimberg? Yeah, yeah, Simon Kimberg. So that's where we stand. Now, exactly what is going to happen with these standalone films, we don't know. Um, when he spoke to the folks at... The uh, at the big backstage or excuse me final draft event, uh, he would not comment on whether or not familiar characters like Han Solo, Boba Fett, or Yoda would appear. Uh, but he did say that he's quote trying to start fresh. He went on to say that there are certain pleasures that we think the saga can bring to people that they've been missing, and we're hoping to bring them that, and at the same time have them feel that it's all new. This was an interesting quote, Jim, because I wondered if when he talks about bringing something back that's been missing is he talking about the prequels is he talking about the clone wars or is he just talking about the absence in general of star wars on the silver screen what do you think i think he's being pretty specific he's indicating
1: that he wants the flavor the fun the swashbuckling adventure spirit of the original trilogy to be present in future star wars films that he is going to be consulting on So that's exactly what I think he means. I do think it is sort of a nod toward the prequels. And the prequels, while they do have a very special place with Star Wars fans, especially the Star Wars fans who grew up on them, they're fantastic. But there is an element, a magical, mystical element that is sometimes arguably absent from the prequels That we want to see being unleashed in full force. The Force Unleashed. We want to see full-on Star Wars adventure in the spirit of the original trilogy. And if we are going to be establishing a timeline moving forward in the history of the saga from the original trilogy, then that is a very important element that must be incorporated into future Star Wars
3: films. Yeah, and really, I can't think of anybody, with the exception of maybe, say, like an Irving Kirshner, who's no longer with us, other than Lawrence Kasdan, that can do that. I mean, this is the guy that wrote it. I mean, he's responsible for um, the script, the screenplay of the best-loved Star Wars film by most fans and critics alike, The Empire Strikes Back. So if anybody really understands the mechanics of writing a story like this, particularly in the era that we're all sort of guessing that these films are going to take place, it's Lawrence Kasdan. So, and
1: of course, don't forget his work on Return of the Jedi. He worked on two-thirds of the original trilogy, 66%. Order 66. He is ready to
3: go to carry that flavor from the original trilogy. What it's- is his credit on, on, on Jedi? Is he, he doesn't get the first writing credit on that screenplay, does he? I think he might. Kazan
1: Lawrence, writer, episode five, Star Wars.
3: You know, there's been a lot of... uh,
1: And he wrote the screenplay. He uh, he does have credit for the screenplay, Star Wars, episode six, Return of the Jedi.
3: Okay.
1: Uh, Let me see if he shares that credit with anyone else. Going to the trusty and always reliable IMDb. And uh, looking well, up the casting. Well, the
3: original draft of Empire Strikes Back was by uh, the, the late Leigh Brackett. Lee Brackett, yes,
1: and uh, I do have a copy of that. You can actually download copies of that screen. Much out. different than what ended up on screen, for sure. It's a lot different. It is a lot different. There are elements, right? That... And,
3: and and it's, and it's fair to, to to point out that Lee was uh, was was ill at that time, yes. and um, so many of the things. I, there's certainly. Things that carried through, but but many of the the iconic Empire Strikes Back moments uh, appeared in later drafts of the script, and, and and we also know a lot of that was uh, stuff that happened just on set.
1: Oh, absolutely! Uh, because Let's of talk about the Kirshner. carbon
3: freezing chamber, sure. <laughs> it's a great example. It's a great example. But nonetheless, when you talk about the skeletons, the bones, uh, Lawrence Kasdan is definitely on the the very short list of folks to bring that spirit back i love the idea that it's not just fresh faces new faces like a lawrence or the, like a J. J. jj abrams but it's the lawrence kasdans the george lucases you know perhaps the dennis murins uh we don't know but in 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 that crew dennis was one that was uh, offering uh, comments after jj's announcement so i'm i'm sort of reading between the lines there that he'll have something to do with with the star Wars sequels. We don't know, but it, as it's just
1: as I guess. thought, uh, Lawrence Kasdan does have, uh, co screenplay credits sharing it with George Lucas. So those are your writing credits for episode seven, return of the Jedi, Lawrence Kasdan and George Lucas.
3: Okay, I thought it was a story by George Lucas and a screenplay by some-and-so and Lawrence Kasdan, but... but George
1: George I'm, takes another piece of the pie. He does accept that <laughs> story writing credit as
3: well. I'm okay, right. okay, so he, he, he's on both. He um, double down. But, you know, there was a lot of speculation as to when all the pieces and parts of this puzzle sort of fell into place, and according to Lawrence Kasdan, he became involved back last fall, so that's post celebration six he said George sort of brought me into this part of it he said he's stepping back from the company he's sort of uh, giving his blessing to everybody and he'll be there if you need him I think everyone's interested to see where this can go it's been some very it's been some very different places over the 30 years I think with JJ we'll get something entirely new so he's uh, definitely in the uh, pro jJ camp i I haven't really heard any terribly negative Reactions to the JJ J. Abrams. I think most folks reading that maybe there there might be some haters out there from Trek that feel that um, you know he didn't necessarily or they didn't necessarily feel the JJ Trek vibe uh, like they they might have. They were expecting something probably more Roddenberry esque. So there there there's there's some there's a little bit of uh, I guess I would kind of liken those folks to the prequel haters that we have in Star Wars, the ones that really hate the the Abrams verse as they call it. The yeah. JJ verse over there in Trek. So, you get a little bit of that, but as far as on the Star Wars side, I haven't heard a lot of uh anti-Abrams talk, which is which is nice because I was worried that when the announcement was finally made official that you would hear a lot of that. There, of course, there's a lot of jokes about um uh what is solar flares and uh you know, that kind of thing. But yeah, the lens flare. The lens flare, yeah.
1: You know, I've seen, you know, screen grabs of Luke standing there, the iconic shot of him looking over the sand dunes at the twin sun setting off in the distance. And uh, I've seen people touch that up with the old J.J. J. Abrams lens flare. Oh, I've yeah. seen the Star Wars crawler with the lens flare. You can't sure. read the words. So. <laughs> but, you know, it, that's kind of funny. I mean, and it's something that he's been sort of, you know that's like a stereotype uh, that sure. he's a lens flare guy, and um, it's something I never really noticed in his work. Maybe I'm just kind of clueless towards the lens flare, but I certainly know for a fact that J.J. Abrams is not the only dude in Hollywood incorporating that into his work.
3: Definitely not, and and never one moment until after you know reading some of the the scuttle on the on the web, did it ever distract me when watching the 2009 Star Trek movie it never distracted me. No. Sometimes I think it's kind of a cool effect if done yeah. right. right. You know, you hey, guess what?
1: You get a lens flare in Star Wars episode 1, The Phantom Menace, wide shot of the The Generator Complex as it shows up on the catwalk Darth Maul fighting with obi-wan you're and Quiet right, you get right. a lens flare there ladies and gentlemen so right. star wars is not a stranger to the old lens flare right. something ilm incorporates rather often and it gives you a sense of reality you even get a legit lens flare in return of the jedi when darth vader's star destroyer the executor crashes into the death star You get a lens flare there, and that's from, obviously, the pyrotechnics. It was a legitimate lens flare, but I believe it still exists even on the Blu-rays that were just released a year and a half ago. I believe you still have that moment. And it does kind of give it, you know, you realize what you're seeing is being shot with a camera, but you're accustomed to that effect in your day-to-day life, so it sort of grounds it in reality a little bit and makes these effects look a little more real. I don't want to see it overused, God forbid. And now that I'm fully aware of it, maybe my opinion will change. Next time I'll see a lens flare, it'll be like,
0: ah, oh, <laughs> lens flare,
3: <laughs> lens flare. I yeah, it's kind of like when it, when it enters your, your visual vocabulary, then it starts to stick out to you. Right, but
4: right. otherwise, like-
3: I'm not aware of it being a you know a device or a crutch by anybody
1: but then you see it and you're like, I don't like it because the internet told me not to like (laughs) this.
3: Right. That's right. I'm not supposed to like this. Yes. But what does Kasdan think about the, the prequels? He says that the ones he worked on a long time ago had a slightly different feeling than the ones that followed. He says the first three, Star Wars, Empire, and Return of the Jedi, are all sort of more about people than the ones that followed empire appeals to people i think because it's the second act of a three-act play and everything sort of goes to hell during that movie and when you leave everyone is in trouble and that is the best part of the story to write and people responded to it irvin kershner was a completely different kind of director than george the movie's much darker than the first star wars it's more edgy but which film does lawrence kasdan prefer out of all of them he says i must say I think that the great, great film is the first Star Wars. I do. It's hilarious, and it changed movies forever. So he's he's not playing favorites with the films that he wrote. And I guess a classy guy like Lawrence Kasdan wouldn't do that. But he is right. I mean, a lot of them, you know, Irvin Kirshner even said that he was in, extremely intimidated and, and wondered, why would you ever want to do a sequel to this? Because the, the movie's perfect as it is. So it was a daunting process for them to grab the reins of the Star Wars phenomenon and, uh, and steer it into new territory, not unlike what, we've, what we're dealing with right now.
1: Absolutely. You know, there's something I'd like to highlight in this L.A. Times article, this interview with Lawrence Kasdan. Um, just to, to clarify, he is not confirming reports that these standalone films are going to be based on either Han Solo, Boba Fett, or Yoda. People are taking that and running with it as if it has been confirmed news. We're going to hear a clip from Jimmy Kimmel coming up later on where he actually spills it all out to Ewan McGregor as if it's it's gospel, and it's not. These are just rumors we've been hearing. The name I haven't heard mentioned that I really want to hear mentioned is Darth vader a darth vader standalone film something that happens between the two trilogies the prequel and the original trilogy that shows the rise of darth vader we did not get the rise of darth vader in the prequels i thought we would i thought we would see anakin turn into darth vader some way midway through episode two before i knew anything about the films or that anakin was going to be 10 years old in episode one i thought we were going to start the prequels with a grown Jedi Anakin and he would have had a history as a Jedi and we would have seen his fall from grace. And that would have happened midway through episode two. This is the stuff I was dreaming about, like back in 1985, you know? So I was surprised when the prequels went in that direction. But still, even knowing what I knew, I thought by episode three, we we would still see some of the rise of Darth Vader. We did not get that in the prequels. We got the fall of Anakin Skywalker, and that's when it ended. We never saw the rise of Darth Vader. We never saw him struggling with moving forward with a new life where he's lost so much. He's given up his freedoms. He's living inside this armored suit. He's more machine than man. He's twisted and evil. He's answering the Palpatine. He's trying to bury his past. He's trying to hunt down Jedi. That is prime stuff for a film. Let's see a show of hands here. Who's a more interesting character to explore? Anakin Skywalker or Darth Vader? I see a show of hands. Darth Vader overwhelmingly
3: well, that's, and- a, that's a little unfair because I think that there's a a bit of a a gray area between the two characters. I mean, I know what you're saying. When you're talking about Darth Vader, you're talking about the dude in the suit. I'm talking talking about about
1: the guy that we grew up with from the original trilogy. We want to see prime time Darth Vader. It was great to see Anakin Skywalker and the Jedi in their prime, so to speak. But to see Darth Vader being Darth Vader for a full film, where we can accept him as this, not an anti-hero, but just an evil
3: dude <laughs> doing evil things. Well, but, but how would you... Okay, so what you're saying is you want to see him grieving Padme. You want to see him uh, shutting down emotionally in terms of you know whether he blames Palpatine or doesn't blame Palpatine. You want to see him adjusting to life in the suit, all that stuff. I don't know if that necessarily is the evil dude that you're talking about. I think that that's a much more gray Vader. It's not a black Vader. No. We see black Vader in A New Hope. That's, I think, when we see Vader in A New Hope, I think that's Vader at his prime. I think that's Vader at his peak. By the time he has his first confrontation with Luke at Empire, that's when the seeds of doubt start to take root in his, in his consciousness. But and- see, my problem with, with A New Hope is I mean yes it's a
1: great introduction to the character of Vader but he's more of a bureaucrat in that film he's he's really just you know, he doesn't really see too much action, except when he flies his TIE fighter and has a battle with Obi-Wan. But we don't really, we see him pretty much just like delegating orders and hanging out in meetings. You know, it's not the Darth Vader I want to see. I want to see the Darth Vader hunting down Jedi and, and you know, that line now, me... Obi-Wan had. That line Obi-Wan had when he said, you know, yeah,
3: but hunted down by the Empire. Right, it, right. It... It's That's what I want to see. Well, and, and I, I think that that would be fun to see. However, how practical is it to think that Vader could be wearing that suit and leading legions of stormtroopers into battle? Um, I, I just I, I question whether or not it was ever George's intent for us to believe some of the imagery that we saw, perhaps, in uh, some of the video games and the comic books of a battle-ravaged Vader with mm. half of his helmet blown off, I just it, it makes for great concept art and it makes for cool video games. But how practical is it that this guy who is essentially, as you call it, Jim, wearing an iron lung, uh, to be on the battlefield? Is he more of a strategist? Is he more the guy behind the scenes pointing in the right direction, the guy at the top of the tree saying, this is the way to go? Or is he the guy that's got lightsaber lifted to the sky and leading the charge? I don't know. That's interesting because
1: you did mention that we were seeing Vader in his prime at A New Hope. And I said, I think we're seeing Vader in more of a bureaucratic role in A New Hope. And what you're saying now is that that actually might be Vader in his prime. Sure. Sure. Where he leads by fear and intimidation. But he did march into that shootout on the rebel blockade runner and marched right down that hallways as the stormtroopers carved away a path of dead rebel bodies. And then he found the leader, grabbed him by the neck and picked him up off of his boots. Yeah, so, I well, I think that, and right there might be an example of, yes, he does walk into these dangerous. Well, situations.
3: and also on Hoth, you know, you see him uh, on the ground battle in, yeah. in, in Hoth. Uh, you know charging in there. And so he has a certain attitude. So no, it's certainly not off the off the table and I would love to see it and who better to write something like that than Lawrence Kasdan um having written Empire and Jedi, you know, the most complex of all the, you know, the Vader stories, particularly Jedi having written that um certainly would give uh Lawrence Kasdan the the the, the privy into that into that character. Um So, yeah, very, very cool. I I, I tell you, I'm much more interested in that than, you know, I think it was Harry Knowles that said, oh, it's going to be a a Jabba film or. Well, with the Jabba
1: film, you could kill several birds with one stone, though, because with Jabba, you also have bounty hunters. So they could be featured like in a Godfather-esque sort of situation where maybe the action isn't always on Jabba, but the situations that evolve within the plot surround Jabba. And it also takes you back to that great environment of Tatooine, which to me, even though Empire is a great movie, probably the greatest Star Wars movie, it doesn't say Star Wars to me unless they go back to Tatooine. And I I want to see Tatooine in every Star Wars film. I don't know why we have seen Tatooine in every Star Wars film (laughs) except for Empire which most people consider to be the greatest. So, you know, maybe I'm I'm barking up the wrong tree here, but I just love Tatooine. I'll never forget that feeling I had the first time I saw episode one in the theater opening day back in 1999. And when that queen ship landed on Tatooine and you saw Qui-Gon and Jar Jar and Padme go walking into the desert over toward Mos Espa, I was just like, we're home. Mm. We are home. We are in Star Wars now. So I like. I just like that connection to Tatooine
3: in all my Star Wars films. Maybe
1: I'm being just kind of you know sentimental or whatever.
3: Sure, I, I I get it. I think that it's it is sort of the the heart the 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 home of Star Wars. I think if there it's is home. a home, it's where Luke. Uh, we find Luke. We meet Luke. We meet Anakin. So as far as the 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 film. The films are concerned. It is home. It is home base. Um, So, yeah, I I would agree. I like that as well. I think that uh, I would not be a bit surprised if Tatooine figures into uh, these other films um, at some point. I think we'll be going back to Tatooine. Who knows if they'll actually be going back to Tunisia? I I think they can replicate Tatooine outside of Tunisia pretty well, but... uh,
1: and it just never felt the same in Jedi when they shot that stuff in Arizona. It just
3: oh, I think he... it's I think it seemed very Tatooine like. I think yeah. it worked. It seemed too clean to be <laughs> Tatooine.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All
3: right. All right. So Lawrence Kasdan isn't the only one talking Star Wars Episode Seven. How about Frank Oz? Yes. Now, now, Frank Oz, who who has a reputation of being a little bit of a curmudgeon, I'll say that. Jim, you interviewed the man. Um, he has a certain appreciation and fondness for Star Wars, but he looks at it differently than, say, you or I look at it.
1: There's no question about that. I didn't ask him about the Yoda warm-up, though. Something I've been very curious about. It's a, it's a, a method that Tom Kane actually, uh, I don't think he's ever gone public with it, but I am going to on his behalf. The Yoda warm-up happens anytime someone who is going to portray Yoda, they have to get their vocal cords in the right shape. And it goes like this. Yoda warm-up. There you go. Does Frank Oz need the Yoda warm-up? I don't know. I think maybe, you know, a suggestion like that to Frank Oz would only enhance his curmudgeon ways, as you put it, Jason.
3: Yes. However, for curmudgeon, he's pretty sentimental about Yoda. He says, he's in my heart. I know Yoda very Deeply, that was his reaction when asked if he was game to return as the diminutive character with whom he's been associated with for more than thirty years. In recent years, Yoda has been, of course, voiced by actor Tom Kane, as Jimmy mentioned on the Clone Wars. But Oz says that he would absolutely be interested in returning to the character. Uh, somewhere, Tom Kane is crying. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when asked whether or not that the future of Yoda would be CGI or the puppet, he said, I think it depends on the story. But at this point, you can't go back to the puppet. The reason George did the CGI, which I supported, was that he wanted to tell a story that would have been hampered by the physical limitations of the puppet. So we know that Frank was supportive of the move to CGI because he did not want the puppet to get in the way of the story, and he probably also saw episode one and realized that the puppet looked like ass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it looked sorry. like a green a green catcher's mitt with eyes. Yes, yes. Uh, <clears throat> there, there's just something about it. I mean, we we know that the materials that they used to create the puppet were different. Uh, there was a, a a different type of latex rubber that was used. Uh, they thought it was a much superior uh, type of, um, of of material that would hold up better, that would hold its shape better, but at the end of the day, it just didn't have that lifelike quality that the puppet had in Empire. And of course, you know, we've talked about this before, but this is the first time that we've heard Frank Oz say publicly that he would be game for a Return of Yoda. What does it mean? Does it mean that, He's already been approached. Does it mean that Lawrence Kasdan and Simon Kinberg are writing this Yoda story that has long been talked about? I remember back at Celebration 3, George Lucas throwing out on stage there that he might like to see a Yoda story on the the big screen as a way to do a new Star Wars film without having to return to the Skywalker story. Will we see it? I don't know. But as we mentioned, you spoke to Frank Oz. This is going back about, what, four or five years ago? 2007 yeah thought so
1: yeah so we uh we we got together and we we chatted a little bit about the character yoda and what sort of sense of ownership he has of it and like mentioned in this article the cgi yoda and what that means for the history and future of puppet yoda what do you think of the uh the star wars fans you meet who are everywhere
4: I don't have, I mean, I'm I'm pleased that they like my work and and I'm pleased I like Star Wars. I'm not, you know, it was, uh, George and I have a terrific relationship and we had uh, like a a family for so many years. But, you know, when you do do it every five years or so, it's not, you know, it's it's something to think about. So I, I don't think about it very much. I'm just glad it's there. I know it's a lousy answer, but I really don't think about it very much. It's a job for you. No, it's not more. No, nothing's a job for me. Whatever I do, I do with passion. But I just don't think about it very much. You just, I'm, I'm not a I'm not a big Star Wars geek. I just right. love I just love working with with George. And I love doing my character. Uh, but I'm not a I'm not really somebody who celebrates Star Wars. Certain times, I just I just you know love seeing the movies and I love doing my character.
1: It's such an iconic character. Yeah. So. I was just wondering if, if that sort of puts any pressure on you, or no, you just no. don't even think about it.
4: No. Uh-uh. Well, you know, I'm proud of my work. I love the character Yoda, and so it's cool. I mean, I, uh, it's, uh, it gets a little freaky sometimes because there are times when I go to – I live in New York area in, in Connecticut – to JFK, and they they find out from the reservations that I'm coming, and then I find out there's two or three people who've been waiting for an hour. But it's fine. It's cool. I mean, it's not like, I'm not like besieged, you know? I mean, I'm not that popular.
1: Thoughts on the uh, CGI Yoda versus the puppet?
4: Yeah, it's great. I mean, you you could not do what George wanted to do uh, without CGI. I mean, uh, if you wanted that incredible fight that George did, you could never do it with a puppet. It's totally impossible. And so, he wrote it, and he realized, my God, I can't do it unless I do CGI. So it was great.
1: You don't feel a certain loss as to not being able to perform that no, anymore? No,
4: I think if I, if I, if we continued with the character as uh, 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 with me, the guy performing it, I think you'd feel a loss because uh, it, it would be too uh, limited. I think you couldn't have the, the the excitement that George wrote.
1: There you go. And so he was uh, you know, a little candid about where he stands in terms of the character of Yoda and fans. And what I found most interesting in that, and and no, Jason, he's not a curmudgeon. He is actually, he was actually a pretty nice guy. Um, What I found interesting about that though, is for a dude who spent decades perfecting the artistry of puppeteering and puppetry and puppeting How many other words can I uh, (laughs) use to describe what he does? There's an art to it. It's an obvious and, and great talent that takes to do what he does with those puppets, to bring them to life the way he does. And for him to just say story first, as opposed to his art, which is performing puppetry... It's very interesting to hear how he's evolved as a filmmaker, Frank Oz. He's he's moved from well, being
3: a, an entertainer an that's actor. that's the word. You you said filmmaker and, and Frank Oz is a filmmaker. He's a that's great just he's, it. A, he's a great he director, puts, so he's moved beyond just being a, a puppeteer right. and a puppet performer. So he understands how important it is for a filmmaker to have a full palette, a full toolbox. Mm-hmm. To be able to use all the different uh, things in their arsenal to bring the story to life. So he w- he was not going to let his own personal prejudices of being a, a, a puppeteer uh, blind him from the glaring need that they had to have something else to make this happen. Exactly. And that's what we
1: learn of Frank Oz,
3: filmmaker,
1: in that interview.
3: All right, it doesn't end there, not just Frank Oz, so let's keep score here. If you're at home, we've got Mark Hamill on record saying, yes, he would be interested. We've got Carrie Fisher saying, yes, she would be interested. We've got Harrison Ford saying, yes, he would be interested. Frank Oz saying, yes, he'd be interested. We've got confirmation that Lawrence Kasdan is back. How about Ewan McGregor? USA Today has a quote from Ewan McGregor about the news And uh, Ewan says that he was told before it was announced that George had sold Lucasfilm to Disney last year and that there's been no discussion about the possibility of an Obi-Wan comeback. Quote, I probably have heard by now if there was, isn't he on a Jedi retainer or some sort whenever his presence is needed in the Star
1: Wars universe? Oh, my God. Your Obi-Wan sounds just like Seth Green's
3: Obi-Wan from Star (laughs) Wars Detours. I swear to God. Oh, I started hearing it at the end. I was slipping into that. Uh, You know what? I'll leave the Ewan McGregor to James Arnold Taylor. Uh, He finishes by saying, I wish, but no. So he's saying that there have been no discussions about the possibility, but yet he knew about it before it was announced. So who knows how he knew? He probably still has friends there at Lucasfilm, so somebody might have told him. Or maybe he knows for another reason. We don't know. But Jim, you mentioned he was on Jimmy Kimmel, and Jimmy Kimmel actually brought it up to him. Now, I want to talk about Star Wars for a second, because we heard the news today. Have you been contacted by anyone at Disney, by anyone at Lucas, uh, about being in one of these Star Wars movies?
2: Is there new news today? There was new news today. What
3: was the news today? Oh, then I guess you haven't. No. (laughs) (laughs) What was the new news? Well, there was a disturbance in the force today. they uh, are doing a Han Solo movie and a Boba Fett movie before the... What?
2: <laughs> they did tell me they were going to make the new films. Uh-huh, yeah. So they were that, Maybe, for that you know what? obviously they didn't tell me this. They but... were trying to keep it a secret from you, and now I've ruined it. They're <laughs> so so, making a Han Solo film. <laughs> and a Boba Fett film. Yeah, and, uh, yeah that's it, I um, think. Okay. Yeah, no,
3: I don't know if they're doing anything else. But okay. uh, apparently you're not a part of it, so we'll just I move guess it off. Well, he hasn't heard of it, Jimmy Kimmel, because it's not true. Or at least it's not confirmed that well, it's a hot solo or a boba fett story i was hearing something
1: i was hearing something in ewan's voice that tells me he's covering up something he did reveal that he had been told about this sure who told him from the way he said it it sounded like lucasfilm told him
3: right he doesn't he doesn't say you know uh, a buddy of mine told me no no it sounds like it came through official channels why would they say anything to him It's not like they sent out some sort of memo to everybody who's ever appeared in a Star Wars film saying, you know, attention, we're making new movies, just so you know. Right. So you have to be under the assumption that
1: perhaps he has been given the heads up about a potential project in the works.
3: I mean, do you think there's a phone chain somewhere established for Star Wars actors? Like, you know, George makes the first call to, you know, I don't know, Mark Hamill. He's like, Hey, Mark, start the phone chain. We're doing episode seven. And Mark, you know, beep, 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 calls up Harrison Ford. It's like, Harrison, you're not going to believe this. Guess what? They're doing episode seven. Better than that, there is this hidden
1: Facebook page somewhere where they're all all like it. (laughs) And they just discuss amongst themselves. You know, it'll be like, George will be like, you know, yeah, Super Bowl was good, uh, Ravens. And then Mark Hamill will post up something like, "What are we making the films?" Yeah.
3: <laughs> Jason, do your do your Obi Wan one more time. Oh, see, I won't be able to. That that was lightning in a bottle, man. I just can't do just that. Do that one more time. All right, let me find a line. Let me find where's the line. Let me let me go line, back up here. Please, I probably would have heard by now if there was. <laughs> Isn't he he on a Jedi retainer of some sort Whenever his presence is needed in the Star Wars universe Alright, here's a clip from Star Wars Detours
1: (laughs) With Seth Green playing Obi-Wan Kenobi
2: Oh, are you following me? You're pulling me to you with the fall What? You don't even know you're doing it, fancy Now watch this marble (laughs) You're doing that Alright you're right. You're right. That must be. I,
3: you know what? Somehow we've um, when I when I think Obi-Wan, it comes out my mouth. It turns into Seth Green <laughs> as Obi-Wan. Oh, well.
1: I wonder if detours is ever going to see the light of day now that Disney owns uh,
3: Lucasfilm. You know, it's been surprisingly quiet on that front, hasn't yeah, it? I mean, you would think after Toy Fair that all that there is to Star Wars is Angry Birds.
1: Yeah. Yeah, Really, There's there's uh, been no buzz about detours since August in Orlando. So, uh, and not knows? just
3: detours, but Jim, I don't know if you heard the. For those of you who are uh, toy collectors, you've got to check out the latest episode of the Curto Burns Collectors Cast. They do a great breakdown of the news, or lack thereof, that came out of Toy Fair 2013 in New York last weekend. And the Clone Wars line? Hasbro's? Clone Wars? Animated style? On, Cancelled. Over. Kaput. Venice. Yeah.
1: And, of course, you know, Star Wars Episode 2 and 3 in 3D. Postponed. So yeah. it seems like a lot of things that we were looking forward to, things that were revealed to us in Orlando back in August, are being put on the shelf next to the live action show. Whether or not it actually will see the light of day, we'll never know. We don't know what the status of detours is right now, but let's face it, folks, things have been really quiet concerning that project. And um, I was really thinking that we might be seeing a fall 2013 release of this show, and uh, I am losing confidence in that
3: day by day. There has been, in fact, really, Jim, from the moment it showed up, at celebration six in that super secret top secret secret panel uh, really from that moment on it just died I mean they had the panel they had the clips on the Facebook page I don't even know if the clips made it George on Star Wars dot com they had George Lucas there for crying out loud they, they had to take James Arnold Taylor out on a Hannibal Lecter gurney um, so
1: that was a highlight of the
3: week Oh, absolutely! <laughs> <James> but <laughs> but uh, you talk about getting the maker's seal of approval. It's just I, I I put it this way: sometimes silence is more meaningful than the chatter and the talk. And right now, on the detours front, silence. There's been no acknowledgement of this project. I don't even think the clips ever made StarWars.com. dot com maybe they did, but I bet you couldn't find them right now. I don't know if you could find them on StarWars.com, dot com but they're very
1: accessible on youtube That's oh, where sure. to find them so um I showed them to my uh, son Dylan, ten years old he uh he's chomping at the bit, he says, bring it on um who knows it, it, they they put a lot of work and money into it. A lot of time developing and researching it. It's something George wanted to have happen. So hopefully they will find some sort of
3: media outlet. I think it. George just wanted to hang out with Matt and say I
1: think, yeah, you know what? I think
3: he wanted I'm to like feel like that. a cool kid again.
1: Yep, yep, yeah, yeah, yeah. There, there, there's probably a big part of that, too. If you watch the Robot Chicken DVDs, there's behind the scenes featuring George, and he just seems playful and laid back and just having the time
3: of his life. I've that never seen him before. feel young. Life. I think it made him feel young. You know, you hang around with young people and you feel young yourself. But the one thing that I thought lent some credence to Detour's perhaps surviving the Disney buyout is the fact that it deals with primarily original trilogy era characters, and that we know that's the direction that Disney's headed. So I think that that's a, a plus in the column, but we have heard nothing, so we're to assume that. No news is no news. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, I, I hope it sees the light of day on broadcast television, cable television, online, DVD, Blu-ray release, what have you, uh, downloadable release. Uh, I, I, I still want to see it. I do want to see it. But I understand, you know, if, if if you're pulling the 3D off the shelves and um, it uh, appears that Uh, Support for Clone Wars might be on sort of a a downward slide um, as far as merchandising goes. Um, And the future of Clone Wars in Jeopardy right now, as far as I'm concerned, there has been no official announcement about a season six, Uh, did not appear on Cartoon Network's upcoming fall schedule. No, you Uh,
3: know, it's funny because when you think about it, Jim, think about the last several seasons of Clone Wars and on that. After that last episode, you would sometimes see a kick ass trailer for the next year. I think, in fact, I think they've done that for most of the seasons, haven't they? Yeah, I don't recall if they did that at the end of season four. Something
1: tells me they didn't. Hmm. I don't think we saw any footage for season You know, season you
3: might be right. We didn't see anything for five until um, Star Wars weekends. weekends. Right, yeah. right. Uh, So, OK, so maybe that theory is out the door. But I'm, I'm, I'm feeling like, given the fact that we only have three episodes left in season five, that we should have heard something by now about season six. Yeah. But uh,
1: so, all indications we've gotten is that season six is under production. We know our buddy Kyle Newman has actually voiced a character for season six. We know Jamie's been in there. We know we've seen photos on Facebook of Stephen Stanton um, and other Regular Clone Wars, uh, The Usual Suspects. So we know that plenty of work has been done on season six. As a matter of fact, writer Christian Taylor told me at the season four red carpet premiere that there was work done on season six.
3: Well, so, in, our, in our conversation with Sam Witwer, he said there's more mall.
1: In and the, there's more mall more mall's that story so you know I, I really uh, I, I'm not trying to say I don't have confidence that season six will happen or won't happen. It, it's just just looking for some answers, and I know things are up in the air now because you know the the transfer to Disney is still fresh. You know what it's like to have a new boss? Yes, it sometimes it takes up to a year before that you really start to feel what the program is all about, right. you know uh, there's a lot of uh a lot of ground to be covered by new management sometimes, and sometimes the footing is insecure at first, but we're hoping for a seamless transition to Disney, just like all fans are, and really looking forward to the future twenty fifteen and Star Wars episode seven so trying to be understanding when we've been hearing about certain projects for years and now we're learning that one by one they're gradually getting shelved we're just trying to maintain positivity because we know we're getting a new era of Star Wars and sometimes sometimes you have to look before you leap sometimes there's growing pains along the way as a Star Wars fan I'm willing to ride out the waves and ashore to Star Wars Episode 7. And anyway, we
3: can get there. So Now, you might have heard, bring this back to Obi-Wan, <laughs> you might have heard that John Jackson Miller is penning a new novel called Kenobi that's going to be out sometime later this year. It's a standalone, one-book story about Obi-Wan or Ben, as he's probably known at this point, and in his being marooned there on Tatooine. I guess maroon's not the right word. It's like he's been abandoned. He went there on his own. So um, exiled, exiled, his exile. Uh, but what about a film about that? You and McGregor said the idea of Obi wan getting his own film. I'll give you another U in here, Jimmy. I think it's a good idea. <laughs> the, the only bit that I could get away with doing is after the last one I made, Episode Three, before Alec Guinness. There's that period where he's in the desert. So there you go. That's his quote. He thinks it's a good idea. So Hamill, check. Ford, so, check. Fisher, check. You and McGregor,
1: check. So that check. whole film is going to be him hanging out in that little place of his, like staring at the hot pot going, it takes forever for this to boil. <laughs> <You know? laughs> like Jawa solicitors showing up at the door, you know, <laughs> can't you read the sign? It's
3: He's just, a, it's just no a day solicitors. in the life. Nothing really happens. <laughs> daylight, maybe a reality show. Let's do that.
1: Baloney. He has to know that that Moss Eisley Cantina can be a rough place. He has a history in that place, and also he's going to be communing with Qui Gon Jinn and dealing with Owen Lars and Sand People and Jawas,
3: and you name yeah. it. You could do. Well, something. And you hear you could, and you you know you hear him say, "I'm I'm getting too old for this kind of thing." Really? So this has happened to you a lot?
1: He's been on adventures. Yes, he has. In that 20 years in exile, he has seen some stuff go down.
3: Yes, he has. So anyway, I count me in. I would say out of all of them, Jim, outside your Vader pitch withstanding, that's the one that I, I would probably be more anxious to see than a, than a standalone Han Solo strike. i tell you, I'm not really. I'll be honest with you. I'm a Han Solo fan. I love the character of Han Solo, but I am not anxious to see that character recast anytime soon. I'm just not. I'm not ready for that yet. Uh-huh. So I would really be supportive of a Ewan McGregor who did a – it's it's like witchcraft what he did with that, with that role in terms of making it his own but yet still barring so heavily from Alec Guinness – He stepped into it so well and created some amazing symmetry between the two uh, trilogies. I would much rather see him step back into the robes as a middle-aged Obi-Wan than see some young guy being recast as as Han Solo. That's, That's just me.
1: Yeah. And where do you stand on the Yoda standalone movie?
3: I'm really torn on that because there's a part of me that really loves the mystery behind right. Yoda. And mm-hmm. I almost don't know if I want the curtain peeled back on that character. I I, I think that there's, it could, it, unless it's done really, really well. And there's a way that you could do a Yoda story without, you know, revealing too much. But. I think that Yoda as a character works because you experience him in these smaller doses. I don't know if, if the character would really, really resonate the way he does now if your eyes just kind of grew tired of him. But you look at something like Gollum and how much screen time Gollum has in the Lord of the Rings films. Um, it's, it's doable. It's doable.
1: So I understand you're saying leading man, he is not. But, uh, <laughs> but that's okay. Um, here's the thing that I, I just really want to get out there, and, and you've touched upon it, is that when people hear the idea of a standalone Yoda movie, they instantly jump to the assumption the conclusion that it's going to be like an origin story talking about where yoda came from how he became so powerful in the force how he was discovered every everything from from you know diapers to <laughs> jedi knight but
3: but isn't that how hollywood is though
1: don't we always kind of jump to the origin story it doesn't have to be that way though when you're talking about a character who's 900 years old And something that I've always loved about Star Wars is you are dropped into the middle of the story when the film begins. There's already a history of events that have led up to the beginning of the film. And you're always aware of that. You're always aware of the fact that there's a history of the Star Wars, even back in 1977 when it was originally released. You knew, because of the crawler, obviously, that there's been this history and there's been this galactic conflict going on, and I like being dropped into the middle of the action. Can you take a character like Yoda and drop yourself into the middle of the action is he is a fully-fledged Jedi Knight out on a mission, much like we see the introduction of Qui-Gon Jinn in Star Wars Episode One. You are dropped
3: into it. They are on the mission. That, that's true. It's a, it's a great point, and it's what makes Star Wars really stand out. But can you give me another example of a major franchise within the last 10, 15 years right. that didn't start with an origin?
1: Sure. You know, we've seen it happen multiple times with Batman, with um, with uh, um, uh, just recently Iron Man, uh, Spider-Man. They've you know, they they rebooted that franchise after what, a dozen years and did another origin story. How many origin stories of Spider-Man can we fit into 50 years?
3: Yeah. Uh, the, the, so it, the, it seems to be a, a, a bit of a crutch in a way. I mean, they they did it with James Bond. So maybe Star Wars can
1: transcend that and set a new standard for things like standalone films featuring Star Wars characters. Why follow the mold? With a character like Yoda, shouldn't follow the mold. No. We all, yeah, you know, Yoda breaks want, the mold, man. Yeah, you don't want to pull that curtain all the way back. You don't want to go to Yoda's planet and see a bunch of Yodas, old Yodas, young Yodas, fat Yodas, thin Yodas bald yodas long-haired yoda you don't want to see that i don't want to see that that no. would be pulling the curtain way back i don't yeah. know, i don't I want know, to either, yoda. no planet of yodas
3: no 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 yoda planet no yoda planet no. please god no. no yoda planet by the way we would be remiss in all this yoda discussion if we didn't take a moment to uh say a few words about Stuart freeborn uh, there would be no Yoda if it wasn't for Stuart Freeborn. There was all kinds of problems. Nobody could get it right. Even Ralph McQuarrie, the great Ralph McQuarrie, couldn't quite get George's vision of Yoda. Bring that into reality. It took Stuart Freeborn, a wonderful, wonderful sculptor and a creature creator and special effects maestro. It took him to do a, a, a kind of perverted self-portrait To really bring the character of Yoda to life. And it was sort of a last ditch effort, Jim. When you read sort of the background of that character, it was sort of like a Hail Mary pass. They needed something quick.
1: They did. They did. And Stuart talks about how he whipped something up right away and was shocked that it was instantly accepted. But Stuart, he's got, he had a, a great resume, you know, created the look of Yoda, Jabba the Hutt. Yoda and, and even some creatures in the cantina. So he passed away last week on Wednesday. He was 98 years old. He worked on 2001, a space odyssey, that great sequence at the beginning with the apes throwing the bones up into the sky. He worked on uh, he did the makeup for Peter Sellers and Dr. Strangelove. He worked on so many incredibly historic and incredible films. Um, And he was given the challenge on the set of Empire Strikes Back to create the Yoda puppet. Apparently, the Yoda puppet had gone through so many different changes conceptually before it even got close to the sculpting stage where he looked like a garden gnome. He looked like, uh, in the Marvel comics, the original edition, he looked like this little shriveled up purple thing that was about the size of a California raisin. <laughs> I think it was the inspiration for the raisins. <laughs> and it was just very bizarre looking. And and then he eventually grew into something a little more cute. And Irvin Kirschner talks about Stuart Freeborn and his initial thoughts as to when the first time he saw Stuart's sculpt
0: of the Yoda puppet and just what went through his head. One of the biggest surprises, and not a very nice one was when they showed me Yoda for the first time. Yoda without a head. Frank Oz and his associates have come up with different heads. None of them work. Hmm. So Stuart Freeborn, the makeup expert, he said, can you give me a week? I'll give you the head of Yoda. He had been a sculptor. I didn't know that. He came back in a week, and on a table was a sheet covering something. I stood around and looked at it, and he said, okay, Yoda whipped off the sheet and here was his head and i looked at him and i looked at yoda and i realized what everybody was realizing and couldn't say it was a self-portrait of Stuart freeborn he doesn't like to admit this but it really is (laughs) so It was obvious to Stewart, though, it wasn't so
1: obvious. He did have another influence for the look of Yoda. And he wasn't like Kirsch said, at least by 2011 in this interview that Stewart did for the London Film Museum. He wasn't shy about talking about the influences of the look of Yoda and whether or not it was a self-portrait. But if you listen to this clip here, Stewart talking about the creation of Yoda, he does mention that, yes. His look was responsible for the look of Yoda, but there was another influence. Check it out.
0: Yoda, 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 all the time. I've never modelled anything so quick, and I thought it's going to be a load of rubbish. You know? <laughs> Normally, I will take a cast of the artist's face and model it on the artist's face so it fits exactly. But I didn't have time to do that. We just wanted it in a few hours, so. Uh, it was half me and half Einstein modeling with all his little wrinkles. Then he's got to be a creature, so I put creature ears on the top of it. And uh, I thought, well, that's it. It's, I haven't got time to change it. So I covered it over and then went down. And he said, well, you know, have you done it? I said, yes. He said, I want to see it. I thought, he, he, he can't like what I've just thrown together. So and I pulled a bit of damp cloth off. And I go, oh, my God, what is he going And you said, that's it. That's just what I want. <laughs> that's
1: just what I want. Just, just talking like about Kirsch there in the first time he showed him Yoda. Yeah,
3: it was a little yeah. hard to make out. What you hear him say is that uh, it was half self-portrait and half Einstein. And I remember now, after hearing that clip, that uh, it was the forehead, right, Jimmy? It was the wrinkled brow that, yeah. that showed the wisdom he felt uh, based on some Einstein uh, photos
1: but it is a self-portrait, let's face it. Stuart Freeborn is the face of Yoda. And if you don't believe me, just look out on our uh, Facebook page. Star Wars artist Kevin Lyle passed along this picture that was split screen, half the face of Yoda and half the face of Stuart Freeborn. And it's uh, you make the distinction, it is totally there.
3: So, Jim, did you watch the, uh, the BAFTAs? I- I- I'm guessing that the whole Mac clan had their... They're little uh, uh, game boards with the different films, and they were nominated, and the, the, you probably do this every year for the BAFTAs, right? You have your own little BAFTA pool there at the house? Absolutely, absolutely. Every year, I say, Dame
1: Judy Dent! <laughs> Doesn't matter if she's nominated or not. Just <laughs> give me the dame!
3: <laughs> All right, so the BAFTAs, uh, which take place before the Oscars, they're the... I guess you would say that they're the equivalent of the Academy Awards for uh, the U.K., but there's also, I guess maybe they'd be more like the Golden Globes, because it also includes television. So the BAFTA Awards 2013 were held in London's Covent Garden, and guess who was there running his mouth? Who? Simon freaking Pegg. Simon freaking Pegg? What did he say this time? I don't know. Let's find out. Here it is. This is Simon Pegg talking Star Wars and J.J. Abrams there at the BAFTA Awards.
2: I wanted to ask about J.J. Abrams and and Star Trek and Star Wars. I know you've obviously been in Star Trek, big Star Wars fan. Do you think the clans might be united now that J.J. Abrams is going to be taking on Star Wars? Uh, Yeah, I guess so. I mean, I I don't know how separate they've always been. I mean, they tend to be a bit of both. There are some people, I guess, that kind of like stick to one thing and don't want to do the other. but I, I. You know, JJ's the perfect choice for that job and uh, I just hope he doesn't forget us Trekkies in the corner. JJ Abrams doesn't do Star Trek three. Do you have another director in mind you think he could do a good job? He will do Star Trek.
1: Ah, there we go. He is Uh Simon Pegg is saying JJ Abrams will do Star Trek three.
3: What does Simon Pegg know that no one else knows? Well, he must not know much because he quickly redacted the comment on his Twitter feed at, at Simon Pegg. I think he should, by the way, Jim, change that Twitter handle to Simon Frickin' Pegg. Um But anyway, he changed, uh, re- redacted and said, just to be clear, contrary to reports in the press, I have no idea whether or not J.J. Wilhelm Star Trek Three. So contrary to reports in the press, <laughs> no, contrary to your report. That was repeated in the press. I mean, uh, he says, oh, he'll do Star Trek 3. And then the the reporter asks again, like, oh, really? And he's like, yeah, he'll do Star Trek 3. He says it twice. But um, I'm sure J.J. called him and said, dude, what are you doing to me?
1: <laughs> well, I just you know, got I'm, the Star I'm Wars sure, gig. I'm sure Simon wasn't trying to be anything but
3: just optimistic and supportive of his friend
1: yes yes but you know it, it things get taken and they get blown out of proportion so and it seems like a lot of times when simon pegg opens his mouth things get blown out of proportion
3: yes indeed in fact um he continued to run his mouth about star wars star trek and the whole thing and of course angling for a role could he be angling for a gig in star wars According to him, he says, I haven't spoken to J.J. Abrams about the role. I think he's eyeing for Dengar. That's what I think. But here he is at the BAFTAs, or as Jimmy calls it, the NAFTAs. (laughs) The North American Free Trade Agreement Awards 2013. Wait, where did I
1: say
0: that? No,
3: no, on the notebook. It just says Simon Pegg 002 NAFTA. (laughs) NAFTA 2013. I'm having visions of Ross Perot saying, Hear that giant sucking sound? That's (laughs) all the jobs going out of America because of NAFTA. (laughs) Let
2: me show you a chart about that. (laughs) NAFTA.
3: That's what it says on the notebook, (laughs) ladies and gentlemen. Didn't didn't Ross Perot and Al Gore have a debate on Larry King about the BAFTAs? (laughs) In what he was going to do to American industry? Anyway, what does
2: Simon frickin' Peggy have to say?
3: I don't know. We'll find out. This is what he said about a role in the new Star Wars film.
2: I've always been a fan of both, and I've never kind of I've never come across anyone who's just uh, you know who likes Star Trek but hates Star Wars. And if you do, if you are that, then that that that's that's clearly a sign of some kind of illness, because you know there's room for everybody. I I think it's great. JJ's is doing it. I think I hope he does more films with Star before the the first word. I think he should do Starbucks as well and just get them all. You yeah, know, remake Starman. Starman. Yeah. yeah. Stars in their eyes. Has he spoken to about Star Wars? Well, there's no script yet, and there's no I. You know, I've spoken to him and, and congratulated him and stuff, but it's not written, and so there's no casting or anything. So. You know, that, that just hasn't come up.
3: All right. So they're, they're saying that, you know, given that they have a history of working together on Mission Impossible and, and then then Star Trek, that would he transfer over to Star Wars? And we know Simon Pegg is a big Star Wars fan. And by big Star Wars fan, I mean, he likes episodes four, five and six. And would he jump at the chance of being in Star Wars? I think no doubt. Helmed by J.J. Abrams. No doubt. Playing Dengar. No doubt. He has played Dengar before. Yes, he has in the Clone Wars, in an era that he so despises, the prequel era. Yeah. Simon freaking Peck. What are you going to do with the guy? I still I think know. that it's re- he keeps getting rewarded for bad behavior.
1: Yeah, some people just, you know, they, they turn the other cheek. But uh, here on Rebel Force Radio, we always just simply say, Shut up,
0: Dengar.
1: <laughs> Shut up, Dengar. That's the name of this new segment on uh, Rebel Force Radio, The Adventures of Simon Pegg.
3: Shut up, Dengar. Shut up, Dengar. Not only do we have Simon Pegg running off at the mouth, now we got Bill Shatner get into the action. I got to tell you, I just want everybody to know, on record, Captain Kirk, William Shatner's Captain Kirk, one of my heroes as a kid growing up. I love Captain Kirk. Can't get enough of him. And I also am a big fan of William Shatner. I loved him on Boston Legal. Uh, Nobody hung on the hood of a car like T.J. Hooker. (laughs) <laughs> this is uh, true. Shatner. Uh, that guy can hang on the hood. There's a great uh, Saturday Night Live sketch of him <laughs> writing poetry and letters on the hood of a car as, as T.J. Hooker. Classic. Um, classic stuff. But I got to say, he is smelling, well, let's say, reeking a little desperate these days. Because he's had this... Look, Star Trek, the first Star Trek film by Abrams came out in, what, 2009? Shatner has been, he continues to lobby for a role in a film that came out in 2009. It's he's the most, he's still lobbying for a role in that film. <laughs> I, th- I don't even think he's talking about being into Star Trek Into Darkness, the follow-up <laughs> film. He still, he hasn't made it he, that far
1: yet. He still not start lobbying original. for it until he could rent it from family video. Yeah, it, I mean, there was a, <laughs> what is this? A new Star Trek? I need
3: to be put into this film. <laughs> <He went laughs> uh, I saw a headline not too uh, long ago, just a couple of days ago, where he was saying, uh, J.J. doesn't know what to do with me. No, I think he knows exactly what to do with you, Bill. Leave you on the sidelines. Because this story is about Captain Kirk, not Bill Shatner. And the thing about Shatner is he can't step out of the way. You know, it's got to be about Shatner. Uh, Whereas Nimoy can step out of the way of being Nimoy and be Spock. And, you know, anyway, this isn't Trek cast. This is this is Rebel Force Radio. But it's relevant because, of course, Shatner had to share his opinion on how he felt about J.J. Abrams taking the helm of Star Wars Episode 7
1: You're not only a a sci-fi icon, if I may say, but also a big sci-fi fan. I am. I was just curious what you thought about J.J. Abrams taking Star Trek and Star Wars, and if there's a homogenization of sci-fi, or you think there's enough for everybody to have fun with it.
3: No, he's being a pig. (laughs) I mean, he's collecting the two Mm -hmm. franchises and holding them close to his vest. And he's probably the most talented director of that of that ilk mm-hmm. we have. Mm-hmm. But he, he's gone too far this time. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I, I I think of him as a buddy of mine. Mm-hmm. I've taken him out for sushi. Mm-hmm. I think it's time <laughs> for J.J. and I to have another sushi. Mm-hmm. And and let me put him straight about two of the largest franchises mm-hmm. and not employing me in either one of them, I think, is just foolhardy. <laughs> you know what? I'll tell you what. I'm going on record here. I'll say, I <laughs> think it would be so great if Shatner showed up as a cameo. <laughs> in the new Star Wars film, so Abrams just totally screws with him and refuses to put him into the Star Trek films, but it always gives him a gig in one of the Star Wars movies. That would just be great. You know, he could play an alien. You know, he could, he, you know, a non-speaking role, of course. You paint him up. Well, we still have to be able to recognize
1: him, so you paint him up in blue like they did to the. There you to go George, to George in Episode Three.
3: You can He's the Elder Papanoida. <laughs> we'll, we'll call him. We'll call him Bill Paranoida.
1: Bill Paranoida Papanoida. <laughs> coming to theaters
3: near you. But you know, Shatner is always firing the, uh, firing a little uh, the, the barbs at Star Wars. You know, yes. he started the feud with Carrie Fisher last year on their video blogs, respectively. And you know, he like I said, he continues to lobby for a role in a film that wrapped about five years ago, and uh, you know now following Abrams has got to feel like this 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 Shatner is just like a I don't know like a big growth that he can't he can't he can't shake you know it's always about Shatner 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 but I will say you know after hearing the clip that you know I think that William Shatner has a, a certain sense of humor where he quite can't quite know if he's being serious or if he's kidding.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I
3: think he does that deliberately because I think there's a part of Shatner that really believes those things that he says. He's like a WWE wrestler, you know? Right.
1: <laughs> yeah, right, right. It's, a lot of it's for show. Where does the
3: character end and the real person begin? It's interesting. Uh,
1: whatever. You know, we talk the wars here, but we love the Shat just as much.
3: Yeah, yeah. And, and a Fanboys alum. Bill Shatner, so uh, we got to show the love for the Shats, and I am a I am a Captain Kirk fan, big time Captain Kirk fan. It's all there: maps, passcodes. How did you score all this stuff? Are you kidding? I'm William Shatner. I can score anything. Okay, before we go too much further in the show, we do want to stop and mention our good friends at WeLoveFine.com. We've been telling you about them for some time now. Great selection of fantastic T-shirts and various other items. Star Wars and other franchises covered, but you're here because you love Star Wars and we want to tell you about a special contest that they're holding right now on their website at WeLoveFine.com. They're calling it the Dark Side Design Contest where they want you, that's right, you to design the next big Star Wars t-shirt at WeLoveFine.com. The only catch is you've got to use a Dark Side character. You've got to use somebody like Darth Vader, Palps, Darth Maul, Or uh, maybe some of the Imperial Forces, or Boba Fett, or other bounty hunters. Whatever you like that will help you to create your best and most villainous design. Featuring a classic Star Wars evildoer. And this is pretty cool because you're going to be competing for some great prizes. Grand prize? Well, in addition to actually having your shirt become an official... Licensed Star Wars T-shirt. You're also going to get a Wacom Cintiq 22 HD pen display. Jim, have you seen one of these? You know what this is? No. What is this? All right. So if you're a graphic artist, yeah. it's it's a, it's basically a monitor. A really imagine like a big. The people that actually use this, they're going to laugh at me. But imagine a great big iPad, okay. right? That you can draw on with a pen. Got it. Right. So if you're a graphic artist, I mean this thing. The value of this is a couple thousand dollars, but this is uh, an HD version, 21.5-inch high-def LCD screen, uh, and that's going to be yours. So if you're a wannabe artist or a professional artist, maybe you could use an upgrade in that. So that's a great prize. Also, there's going to be four runner-up prizes. They're going to be picked by the four guest judges we're going to talk about that in just a minute but the four guest judges are going to select their own personal favorite and those winners are going to get 400 bucks in cash cold hard cash no republic credits cash <laughs> and then there's going to be five honorable mentions where the winner will receive 50 dollar gift certificates for we love now about our judges are we ready yes drum roll please Judge number one, you know him, Stephen J. Sansweet. Love him, President and CEO of Rancho Obi Wan, an all-around good guy, and he just happens to have like the world's biggest Star Wars collection. So great guy to be one of the judges. Judge number two, Chris Hardwick from That's... Nerdist podcasts and Nerdist Industries. He's going to be another judge. Judge number three, ooh, the class up the joint a little bit, Adrian Curry. Love her. Oh yes. Uh, she's going to be a, a guest judge As well as Rebel Force Radio What? Those guys Yeah, Jason Swank and Jimmy Mack Going to be right. judging the contest So, um, yes, we do take bribes So in case you're wondering <laughs> We can be bought No, this is going to be all in the up and up I, I, I love the fact, Jim That you and I get to put our heads together And we get to come up with This guest judge pick I mean, the, the, the grand prize winner is great But we get to actually pick ourselves our own favorite winner.
1: So you know what they're going to do with all the guest judges? They're going to take us, you, me, Adrian, Chris, and Stephen J. Sansweet, and they're going to put us into a room, and we're going to we're going to argue about it like twelve angry men. Love. It. There's going to be a lot of finger pointing and everything, and then I'm going to have to clear the room and say, "Everyone, get out!" <laughs> Except
3: for you, Adrian.
1: <laughs> get out, and I'll come back to you with the answer.
3: All right, so here are the details. you got to have your submission in by 11.59.59 59 p.m. Pacific time on March 12, 2013. So, in other words, before midnight on uh, March 12, 2013, you can submit up to five entries per person. So that's pretty cool. So listen, you're not just limited to one. You're five best. All entries must be in one of the following file formats, either GIF or JIF. PNG or JPEG. All this information can be found at welovefind.com. So yes. go
1: there and click on the, uh, the link for the Dark Side Design Contest. You'll see uh, all the rules and all the info and information about the Killer Grand Prize and runner up prizes. So it's going to be a lot of fun. Looking forward to uh, working with uh, Steven Sansweet, Chris Hardwick, and Adrian Curry as we. Do our part in picking the next great dark side t-shirt design for We Love Fire.
5: Rebel Force
3: Radio. Star Wars! Nothing but Star Wars!
5: Your source for the force.
3: All right, we're about to go in the cantina with Terrell Whitlatch. Terrell Whitlatch, the lead creature designer on Star Wars Episode One, the Phantom Menace comes from a zoology and biology background, and you've probably seen her if you've checked out some of the great special features and bonus segments on the Star Wars Episode 1 Blu-ray. So join us now in the cantina with Terrell.: Where
0: are you going? Master? for) a
5: tour?
2: Sorry about the mess. You will never find the more wretched hive of scum and villainy. We must be cautious. Terrell.
0: Yes.
3: Hi. Hi there. It's a pleasure to have you here. Um, immediately, in watching, you know, a lot of the behind-the-scenes footage of Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace, you stuck out to me because of your history. Working for various zoos, and uh, you know, being a, a, a biologist, I think uh, by 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 trade. And my wife is a zoologist. Oh, and is she? Yeah, she is. And so I always thought, ooh, maybe someday my wife could end up <laughs> working in a, on a Star Wars movie. If that's the ticket, if that's how you get there, um, count us in.
5: Well, it's it's one way. Um, I majored in vertebrate zoology. I only spent maybe. A year and a half in art school, and that was just to get my um, my my BFA. So most of my background is is the, zo- the zoology and the anatomy and all that part. But uh, yeah, if, if you want to be a creature designer, I would say that you got to know how to draw real animals first. That's kind of a priority.
3: <laughs> yeah, I, I would assume that when you're talking about populating a world, that yes. you need to, ha- if, even though. You know, it's a galaxy far, far away. There are certain laws of physics that you would want to adhere to.
5: Oh, well, yes, definitely. Just like the basic laws of physics, the particularly the second law of thermodynamics, things have to make sense. You know, mm-hmm. energy is energy, and matter is matter. And, you know, if you live in a magical, magical universe, well, then nothing's going to make sense. You can't tell a story because there's nothing that you can relate to. There's nothing in context that you can relate to. You know, so, yeah, you, you do need to, things do need to have a, some biological um, and physical um, um, sense going on, basic laws of science, yes.
1: So, of course, you were able to incorporate that knowledge into creating animals, exotic animals and creatures for Star Wars Episode I. How did you come to the attention of Lucasfilm?
5: Well, let's see. It's kind of a, kind of a, um, a long story, but in a nutshell, um, right out of art school, I had the for- I was fortunate to be able to work on The Dig, which was for LucasArts. That was a video game that incorporated a lot of six-legged hexapogonal creatures. And then um, some time passed. I was working on other things and such. And then I got a call um, from Industrial Light and Magic, ILM, because they needed somebody who knew how to draw animals in order to work on Jumanji. So um, I got my start working on Jumanji or design the zebras and the monkeys or worked on most of the other animals and then worked on Dragonheart, Men in Black, various other films. And then we heard, (laughs) of course, that George was thinking of doing a little movie um, continuing the saga of Star Wars. And, of course, I was very blessed to have been chosen to be the um, principal creature designer on that film by Mm
1: -hmm. And in doing so, you worked directly with George Lucas. Tell us I what do. that was like.
5: It was very, very neat. Um, he's a very, very nice person. Um, very, I would say very quiet, but it was very, very funny. <laughs> Playful sense of humor and uh, very imaginative. Um, very pleasant person to work with.
1: So, like, what would be an idea... Give us an idea of George's sense of humor. Would he be like... Yeah, put the duck's head on the camel body and uh, <laughs> give him shoes. I, I don't.
5: <laughs> well, not really. He wanted his his world to make sense, so that people be able to suspend that element of disbelief, and so you can engage with the story and the characters. Um, at the same time, he treated it more like uh, a western in outer space you're supposed to have fun with these films. Um, it's like a Saturday morning, um, Saturday afternoon matinee at the movies. And uh, so with many of the creatures, for example, the pod racers or even Jar Jar Banks, there's a sense of humor and playfulness about them. Um, even if they're really, really evil like Sebulba is, he's still kind of a, a humorous um, character. Um, I uh, was inspired by the very... Haughty um, looks of grumpy camels when I designed his his head and his face, and I think Sabalba's main goal in life is to make life horrible for everybody. And uh, and I think that the um, grumpy camel look came to, came across quite well. So they do
3: look kind of grumpy and a little arrogant, right? I mean,
5: uh, well, the camels. Yes, yeah, yes. Uh-huh.
3: his
1: personality gets summed up by his appearance. Do you know how he evolved into? turn into a creature that walked on his hands and used his feet as his hands instead?
5: Basically, George had an idea of a small character because they have to be small, like jockeys, to, to um, be able to drive those uh, pod racers. He, he said, Terrell, I need a character who's rather short that can drive with his with his feet and walk on his hands. That was it.
1: So that was that was the concept from the, the get-go.
5: Get-go. And um, so... I had a lot of blue sky, which is industry speak for try a whole bunch of different ideas. <laughs> and but it was really interesting in that, whereas um, Jar Jar, because he was a a, a primary character, took a, a year and a half to design, and because George was being very very careful with him, um, Sabalba was one where he was only I I I designed him in an afternoon, and I got the approval, and I was so happy. <laughs> And the rest of the pod racers was kind of like a... um, He said, just kind of do this whole loo of different alien beings. And they were a lot of fun to do.
3: You know, the pod racers probably represent the the most variety in a lineup of of Star Wars characters. And I'm curious where do you draw the line as somebody who grounds their concepts in the reality of our own world in terms of anatomy and, and that sort of thing? Where do you draw the line between that and, and, and fantasy? I mean, how do you allow yourself to go, huh. okay, but it is a fantasy, so let's do this.
5: Well, Star Wars is an interesting combination of fantasy in a sci-fi um, genre. So it's kind of a combination. And you know, if you think about say The Wizard of Oz, you've got um, you've got to, You basically have um, wise um, people. For example, Obi Wan's like a very wise person, and Glinda the Good Witch is a real wise person. You have a trio of friends: Dorothy, the Lion, the um, the Scarecrow, and the um, uh, Tin Man. And then, of course, with um, in Star Wars, you have a princess, you have a hero, you have. Um, and even a funny looking animal called you know the um, you know chewbacca for example mm-hmm. but within star wars that being said we have to the, the the romance and the what's so tantalizing about those films are that we can imagine ourselves being there it's not so magical that we can't imagine ourselves being there he's george basically the mentality is take what we already know and just tweak it just slightly for example, we've, we we can believe in bonthas because we're familiar with woolly mammoths. We mm-hmm. can picture ourselves driving, driving a land speeder because at least most of us are somewhat familiar with cars that were um, designed in the early 60s. For example, a 1963 Ford Galaxy is not that different from a land speeder. Just take the wheels off. Uh, and so we're we're familiar with these things, which makes it all the more exciting. We think we can be there. And so that way, I, the um, design is very realistic. It's reality just tweaked slightly as opposed to being something that's magical out of Harry Potter, where we really can't really you know, believe that we actually can hand pet a live you know, hippogriff because those are fantasy creatures.
1: So, Tara, were you working in the main house at Skywalker Ranch?
5: I was. I was on the third floor
1: yeah up there with uh with uh, some of the other artists and then George would come up uh, what once or twice a week with his rubber stamp and uh, take a look <laughs> at what you guys were working. Do you recall the first illustration you made for Star Wars?
5: I uh, it was a I believe it was a variation of Jar Jar who looked like many different animals during the course of that time.
1: <laughs> oh well good. I'm glad you're you're bringing up Jar Jar um because what What made me want to reach out to you is I posted a picture, a drawing you did of just a little frog guy that was eventually turned into a real character on Star Wars, the Clone Wars. It it turned into the concept for Colonel Gascon, who we just saw recently in the the droid arc. And so I posted that on the Facebook. And you Ah. Commenting on the post, and I thought, wow, that's so cool. I got to reach out to Terrell to see if she'll talk about that drawing and yep. how that drawing eventually evolved into not only Gascon but Jar Jar Binks himself.
5: Exactly, yes, that's a kind of a proto Goongan if you want to the reality of it straight from the horse's mouth. I was at ILM, and this is before um, the movies, um, before working on the prequels. Uh, I think I had just gotten done working on, I was doing, designing some of the animation of um, the lip syncing for um, Draco the Dragon and Dragonheart. And I just finished that and I was waiting for the next assignment. I think I was going to go on to be working on um, storyboarding the first um, Super Bowl Clydesdale commercial. And uh, so I was killing a little bit of time before waiting for my art director and I was sketching just little creaturely things and that was... What came out of that sketch, and I posted on my bulletin board there at ILM, and then after um, uh, I took that little same little drawing with me and posted it on my bulletin board up at the main house, and George saw that and said, "Yep, that's where I want to go." And that was for the Gun Guns, and, and eventually, obviously, Jar Jar, and then it was after the fact you know with the clone wars which came after the movies that that was um recycled into as you said um Gascon.
1: Right. And did you picture him when you originally drew him to be tiny or normal sized?
5: Little. Little,
1: no. you didn't. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean there's obviously facial features the the eye stalks uh yeah. definitely uh you you see the uh, genesis of Jar Jar Binks coming through in this drawing. That's
5: kind of fretting, kind of worried uh-oh, what did I do this time sort of expression, yeah. <laughs> and
1: so that led you to further develop Jar Jar Beings. Obviously, it was a collaborative effort, but you yes. did you did concentrate on Jar Jar as a character then from that moment on, right?
5: Yeah, I mean, that was, he needed to kind of get underway pretty quickly because um, the sooner I could get him designed to George's satisfaction, the sooner that could be, um, he could be given to, um, Production back at ILM, they could start working on because um, that's going to be that was going to be a lot of animation, a lot of rigging, a lot of texturing, all of that stuff. That's a that's a huge process. So it was, so he had to be he and a lot of the other well everything had to be kind of designed as well and as quickly as we could do so, so that we could give ILM plenty of heads up and plenty of time. So keeping everything under budget and within the within the um, pipeline.
3: Terrell, mm-hmm. as, as part of the, the Jar Jar design process, mm-hmm. uh, how did it differ from some of the other characters in that you had to be thinking about somebody wearing a suit for this particular costume? I mean, how, what kind oh, well, of limitations, how limiting was that for you when you compare uh, that to something like, a, you know, a rat's Terrell? or?
5: Well, actually, Jar Jar is not a suit. He's totally digital.
3: Right. But... The some of the so the work that was done on the set had on the uh, best uh, in a oh, suit. Motion, so, oh yes, You had the standing actors, right? Mm-hmm.
5: Yeah, yeah, and then maybe a little bit of um, rotoscoping and motion cha- capture experimentation with that. Um, basically, I didn't even worry about it. I didn't even think about designing a character to be in a suit because we very early on, when talking with George, he said, this is not going to be a character in a suit. It's going to be Mm -hmm. totally digital. Mm -hmm. And um, that was just a stand-in as far as that went. So if you look at Jar Jar's design, you'll notice, for example, that his anatomy is impossible for a human being. If you look at his legs, you'll notice his thighs are really, really short. But his shins are really, really long. And uh, that was intentional on my part because I wanted to give him a way of walking that will give a, a little bit of more of an alien twist. He's based a lot on bird anatomy.
3: Yeah. Yeah. There's, there's something like bird slash dinosaur slash.
5: Yeah. And so yeah. when he walks, you'll notice if you looked at it, the way he walks, the way an emu walks, they kind of walk very similar or the way a chicken walks.
1: I hear uh, birds chirping in the background. Do you have a big collection of animals at your house?
5: I, well, no, actually, that's <laughs> those aren't really, those are recorded birds. I have one of those um, sound machines, and I forgot to turn it off. But it makes <laughs> you feel really. It's called Rainforest, and so I'm I'm actually you know talking to you. From, yeah, I thought
3: maybe, from this, so, is, <laughs> this is quite a Skype call out there in the middle of the bush. I like it, and I, as a matter of fact, I think we're going to
1: encourage all of our celebrity interviews to to bring their own sound effects from this point forward.
5: <laughs> yeah, I mean, because I've got lightning and thunder and ocean waves, but I do, as far as little animals here, I do have a little dog. He's a little whippet named Timmy. Oh. Yes. So,
1: so if you-, you know, after you, you spend all this time working on Jar Jar Binks and being behind the scenes of the development of the character, the film comes out, and it, I want to preface this by saying here at Rebel Force Radio, we love all things Star Wars, including and especially Jar Jar Binks. He's our main Gungan. But, uh, 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 but, <laughs> but there, was, there was some audible public backlash toward the character. And, and I just am wondering, um, you know, from, from your perspective as someone who worked on this character for years and years, well, yeah, I worked on it for a bit. You know, up until, you know, I mean, you helped conceive the, the actual look for it and then, sure. you know, obviously handed it off to uh, guys like uh, Amit Best and uh, the crew at ILM. But then seeing it on the, on the silver screen obviously has to give you some sort of personal fulfillment. And then to hear this backlash to a character who you obviously put a lot of blood, sweat and tears and I'm sure love into creating and this backlash about the character. How do you respond to something like that?
5: Well, first of all, um, this the prequels were just, were designed for the next generation of Star Wars fans, and it, the and that being the, the the fans that had the harder time with Jar, Jar Banks are those that started out with the original nineteen seventy seven films and are and uh, and remember the romance of all of that what that was like and. Everybody was, you know, real young too. They were we were all young when those came out. And my goodness, I think I was seventeen years old when that happened, nineteen seventy seven. I would have been well, the interesting thing is is that young children really liked Jar Jar. So the next um generation of um fans really liked him. So it's more kind of a, a generational um viewpoint. Um, again, I designed lots and lots of creatures, I mean, for those films and um it really doesn't. It really doesn't bother me because you have no control over how people react towards that. I designed basically what he looked like, but I did not design how he acted or how he behaved. So you know, there's there's a dichotomy between the two. On the other hand of things, I um also designed some very very scary animals and the characters for those films, including the the Sando Aqua Monster that ate everything.
0: Mm-hmm, um, right.
5: The um, Cola Clawfish, OPC Killer, um, you know, Sebulba, so, so Mister Evil is one of them. Mm. Um, so, yeah, so it was just—it's one of those those things. You're in the you're in the movie industry, and uh, I mean, there's people that don't like Mickey Mouse or Goofy or or, or I don't know, <laughs> Lloyd. Right. Uh, so hey, there we
1: go. <laughs> so, is there a character that you feel a a certain connection to? A character, or creature that you would say is your favorite that you created for Star Wars?
5: Oh yeah, I like the Sando Aqua Monster.
1: There you go. Yeah. look like big. You like I'm bad.
5: Big, the big ocean-going tiger that eats everything. Yeah, it's always
1: hey. a bigger fish.
5: You're always, and that's a pretty big one.
3: Tara, how <laughs> was how were the assignments the the character design assignment assignments uh, handled? How did you know which you were going to do and what what Doug Chang was going to do and and some of the others that were were involved in the oh, conceptual well, phase?
5: Our roles were pretty well. There was some crossover, but. Um, our, our functions and roles are pretty well defined from the get go. Doug Chang was the head honcho art director. He is so amazingly talented. And he is especially, this especially beautiful um, work in industrial design. So he basically designed the cityscapes, the robots, the vehicles, just beautiful, beautiful, beautiful stuff. Ian McKeg designed all the costumes, just gorgeous, gorgeous costumes. And I did most of the creatures. And uh, so that's pretty much what we did. Um,
3: uh, there like, but times- like like, like Wado, Wado was uh, was a Doug Chang Just, design. It was Doug
5: Chang's, yes. Yeah, yeah. So he designed the basic concept, but then he handed that to me mm. to do the all the anatomy to make sure the anatomy was right. I did all the orthographics, I did the skeletons, the muscle systems, everything like that to make it so the ILM could take that and rig it up, and so that it can be animated.
3: And how much looking back did you do? I mean, how much review of the classic trilogy did you do in terms of psyching yourself up to this? Or did you really want a fresh set of eyes? Or did George want a fresh set of eyes on this?
5: You have to have consistency um, and a, a sense of um, continuation. Um, in this case, just this is obviously a prequel, but things are, have a shared history and things have to make sense. I think for about maybe the first five days... I think we listened like to the Star Wars theme nonstop, and then that was we felt we were adequately (laughs) excited. That's all you needed. Yeah, and then we all listened to everything else we wanted to to listen to. I think I was listening to a a lot of Talking Heads during that time to get my my creative juices going. (laughs) Um, So, but uh, yeah, we were all very very excited, absolutely thrilled to be working on, on this this these films. They're well very historical in nature. And then we felt all felt very. We, none of us take this this for granted. We were just absolutely thrilled working on the films. You know,
3: one of the things that we've realized as Star Wars fans and following Star Wars from the beginning is that uh, George never throws any ideas away. And so, no. as okay. as as Jim was talking about with the uh, the appearance of Gascon in the Clone Wars, <laughs> how does it feel to have a, a you know something like? Something you did that was perhaps abandoned, you know, fifteen years ago or more, come back to life and take on a whole new, a whole new character.
5: It's great, and it's 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 kind of it's kind of joyful. In other words, that means your design was a good one. Mm. They, there's always a budget, even in Star Wars. Um, even though those films um, were very expensive to produce, and you had the full force of Lucasfilm and ILM behind them. Nevertheless, they still all had a budget, and you know you couldn't put every single design in there or else the films would be about ten hours long. Um, so it's a real joy to see that because it's kind of a validation of the things that you designed and at the same time, along with that because we wanted to make we wanted those designs to be seen is one reason that uh, I did the wildlife of star wars that the, that um, the book that came out shortly yeah. afterwards. And it's kind of neat to see those designs also appear from time to time in the Clone Wars and games and such like that.
1: Definitely, that's a great book. Also, your your illustrations are seen in the Art of Star Wars Episode One, and that has been on my shelf ever since 1999. In a book that I really love. A lot. <laughs> Uh, Terrell, yes. congratulations on your, your success. You're, you're such a, a brilliant artist and someone who has a very profound level of creativity to be able to devise these amazing creatures. When people say you are the foremost creature creator in the world, I fully support that. And uh, you have a lot of things going on outside of Star Wars, too. Tell us about Tales com. <sighs>
5: Tales of Amalfi is an online um, program in creature design that you can subscribe to and learn how to draw all kinds of interesting creatures. There's a story that goes with it. And so it's not just, well, let's draw a a make-believe creature. There's a context. There's a world that you can populate. And that is very, it gives you a sense of what it's like to work on a film production. In other words, in a film production, you have a script, you have a story, and there is a reason for why creatures look the way they do, so they make sense. So this is very, very exciting. It's in its um, beta phase, testing phase right now, but you can still um, subscribe to it. It'll have its alpha phase very soon as well. So, um, yeah, if anybody's interested, which... I, I'm I'm excited about www.talesofamalfia.com.
1: So that's going to be a great resource for uh, artists of, of all all kind, right? Um, from beginners to expert level.
5: Yep, yep. And we go through um, anatomy, things about an, real animals, which translate into um, imaginary animals, and uh, yeah, it's that's what it, that's what it's all about, and uh, so.
1: But, and also, there's a collection of your work, uh, Animals Real and Imagine.
5: Yes, it's my uh, most recent book, published by Design Studio Press.
1: And how do people get that?
5: Oh, well, you can order it at Amazon.com.
1: Perfect, perfect. Well, it's yeah. been a pleasure to meet you and talk to you. Uh, like I said, uh, we here at Rebel Force Radio have been big fans and actually in awe of your work over the years. And well, uh, it's you're just very kind. <laughs> I'm sorry?
5: You're very, very kind. Thank you.
1: Oh no! Thank you, and uh, thank you for spending some time with here, us here on Rebel Force Radio.
5: My pleasure,
3: Terrell. Thank you for responding to the Facebook post, and thank you for uh, uh, spending some time with us. It's really it's a pleasure to meet. I love your segments on the uh, on the Blu-rays uh, and, and showing off some of your you know your work and the evolution of it all. And you just you brought a real joy to to those segments on the on the bonus features of the disc, So your presence well, is really appreciated on those.
5: Well, bless your heart, and you know those Star Wars movies—they're supposed to be fun. They are supposed to be full of joy. Yeah. So,
3: and you bring, and it. you, and you bring that. So, thanks so much, and mm-hmm. uh, maybe we'll talk to you again soon.
5: Oh, sure. Look, just let me know.
3: All right. Best of luck. All Thank right. Thank you. Uh huh. Bye bye.
5: Bye bye.
3: Rebel Force Radio. You've already made that Star
4: Wars reference.
1: A Jedi's power <laughs> lies within his oh. own. Are you even
4: listening to me? What? Yes. <laughs> um, you were saying. May the Force be with me?
2: No, I did not. Jedi Knight. Jedi dumbass. Your
3: source for the Force. Star Wars parody! (laughs) All right, this week's Star Wars in Pop Culture comes courtesy of me for a change. How about that? I was sitting on the couch this (laughs) past weekend with my uh, four-year-old Bailey, and we just happened to have the Hallmark Channel on. And uh, they play big blocks of the Golden Girls. In fact, my wife and I, for whatever reason, we decide that that's what we will fall asleep to at night. Generally, it comes on around midnight. Eastern times, we throw that on. It's something sort of comforting in the background. We just sort of turn the volume down a little bit. And that's what we generally fall asleep to, have a few laughs. And so it came on on a Saturday morning. And I'm sitting there, like I said, with my daughter. And I hear this line. I jump up. Star Wars, says, what, Dad? You... I said, no, shh. You ever try to shush a four year old, especially a four year old girl? I said, hold on. I got I to gotta rewind this. So I rewound the tape. And sure enough, I found a Star Wars reference in an episode of The Golden Girls. So I grabbed my iPhone. It's the only thing I could find. So the, the sound quality is not up to the Jimmy Mac standards. So I apologize in advance. But I did capture what I think is probably the first and only. Star Wars and pop culture moment from the Golden Girls. Let me set the stage. Blanche, ever the vain one, is lamenting her increasing age. She has this exchange with the great Estelle Getty as Sophia.
2: No matter how bad things get, remember these sage words You're old, you're sad, get over (laughs) them. So what if you know Jesus personally? Wake up and smell a coffee, you fossil. My mistake, I thought since you looked like Yoda, you were also
3: wise. <laughs> she says, uh, my mistake. If I, I, I... She says, my mistake. I thought since you looked like Yoda, you were also wise. And, you know, it's funny because that, that if you if you listen back to that, that that line gets this enormous applause. And what I wish I would have done was clicked on the DVR to see what, you know, a lot of times they'll tell you on the guide, the the original air date for the particular episode. But I'm guessing, you know, it falls within that Golden Girls uh, uh, mid-80s through very early 90s uh, time frame. So Star Wars probably still on the... Uh, in the public consciousness, not to the extent that it is today, but uh, still uh, you know f- what
1: you know what that was a, that was the dark times, even for pop culture references. The Star Wars and pop culture references didn't really start flying fast and furious until post Kevin Smith post clerks uh-huh. he got so much buzz for including that dialogue between Dante and Randall that really put him on the map in in several ways, shapes, and forms I don't mean to diminish the work he did on clerks as a whole but That piece of dialogue really helped build a buzz about Kevin Smith. So other producers and filmmakers and television writers, etc., started seeing this. And they're like, well, we can tap into that, too. But the reason why it was so special for Kevin in the early to mid 90s was the fact that there really were no Star Wars references being thrown around out there. Star Wars was barely had a heartbeat at that point in time. The novels were just starting to come back with the Zahn uh, Thrawn trilogy. The comics were just starting to come back. But it wasn't everywhere like it is now. So for the Golden Girls, by the way, a television show I've never seen before to this are day. You, are you serious? That happened, uh, like you said, Late eighties, early nineties. I was not mid eighties, yeah, right. Mid eighties. Yeah, I was not watching television during those years. I just was not watching. If it wasn't a ball game, I wasn't watching it. I was not following sitcoms. I was not following the news. (laughs) I wasn't following anything. But but I do know this about Golden Girls. You claim that it's a rarity for a Star Wars reference to be in Golden Girls. However, I counter that by saying no. There is a Star Wars reference in every episode of The Golden Girls.
3: That's true. That's
1: true. I'm talking about B. Arthur, Akmina, from the Star Wars Holiday (laughs) Special. (laughs) Was in every episode of The Golden Girls. And don't forget, it was considered by the network as a tagline for a long time for this show. And then they eventually dropped it. But the tagline was going to be, where did you dig up this old fossil?
3: (laughs) She even uses that line in the uh in the clip we just played. You fossil.
1: Yo fossil?
4: Where did you
0: dig up that old fossil? Hello, what have we here? It's just me, Billy yeah. D. don't mess this up, man. Be smooth. Lando's right. Billy D. Sorry, baby, it's just business. Why you slimy, double crossing, no good swindler? Works every
1: time. And Lando Calrissian
0: is forever. <laughs>
3: You know, Jim, with all of the different classic trilogy actors coming out and saying that they wouldn't mind reprising their roles, their iconic roles, we haven't heard from Billy D yet, have we? He's not been on record.
1: No, because quite honestly, he's been reprising that role ever since 1980. The line between Lando Calrissian and Billy D. Williams, actor, is very thin as far as I'm concerned. I consider Lando Calrissian to be alive and breathing and a very real person. Thanks to Billy D. Williams because Billy D. embodies the spirit and the soul of the coolest guy in Cloud City, Lando Calrissian. So, speaking of which, I was talking to Laird Malamed, who is now a contributor of ours with the Bondcast. We just released a show called "For Your Ears Only," and it's a look at the music of the James Bond film series, film by film. So, we just released our Doctor No. For your ears only. And uh, you should check that out now because Lair co-hosts that actually he's in the driver's seat and school and me all about the great film music of 07. So check it out now on the Bondcast feed. But Lair brought up to me as we discussed uh, some of his background, and he worked at Lucasfilm at Skywalker Sound, and he also was involved in video games with Activision and I can't recall if he said he actually worked on the title Jedi Knight 2 Jedi Outcast. But he did remind me that Billy D Williams provided his voice for the Lando Calrissian character in that video game. Who else you going to call but Billy D? So I knew I had some of the audio because years ago, Billy Mac, my brother, went through that game and pulled out each and every Billy D line, Lando Calrissian dialogue, and he put it together into a great montage. Check this out. I'm sorry, Kyle. What does it look like I'm doing? I'm sitting in a cell. What about you? Hey, I can be a charming guy when I want to. You two have had another one of your fights, haven't you? Well, come on, let's go. You can buy some flowers on Besman. I don't believe it. It's not my fault.
0: We're out of here. Yee-haw! All <laughs> right, say goodbye to this wretched hive of scum and villainy, and hello to Cloud City. yee
3: Oh, I love it. I uh, like. The, I like the way it starts too. Kyle Newman could use this. I'm sorry, Kyle.
1: I'm sorry, <laughs> Kyle. He's talking to Kyle, K- of Karn course,
3: right? From the uh, Jedi
1: uh, Knight, uh, Dark Forces video games. But uh, you know what? What I love is the classic uh, Billy D mispronunciation of uh, the planets in which Cloud City is orbiting. Bespin. I don't know if that's a mispronunciation. He says he says B E S B I N He he does put a put a Z in there. Bespin. It's Bespin with a Z. Bespin. Oh, Okay, I guess Bespin. <laughs> See, I, all I know is that there's some letters in there that shouldn't. be.
3: <laughs> I don't know if it's a B or a Z or both or what. Besbin. How Bespin. do we know? How do you know what? How do we know that's not how it's pronounced?
1: If I said it, that's how it's pronounced. That's what the answer you would get back from Billy D. Williams. That's so right. if anyone sees Billy D. appearing at a pop culture con or a comic book convention, you raise your hand during the question and answer segment, and you ask him what the proper way to pronounce the home planet of Cloud City is. And I bet you he'll say Mesbin. And you know why he'll say that?
0: Hey, I can be a charming guy when I want to.
3: It, kicking it old school, this week's Rebel Force Radio, you and me, speculating, cashing it out, good times, also big thanks to Terrell Whitlatch, lead creature designer on Star Wars Episode One, and a whole catalog of credits, a lot of fun talking to Terrell, she's great at Jar Jar Binks, man! She created Zebulba and a whole host of characters and creatures. Don't forget about listening to Rebel Force Radio just about each and every week on the actual radio, the greater Chicago area on WCKG, 1530 AM at Sundays at 2 PM Central. Elsewhere, you can download the WCKG app. Or listen to the live stream at 1530wckg.com. Don't forget about our sponsors, welovefine.com. Check out all the great Star Wars t-shirts there. And look for details on entering their big Dark Side contest. As a special incentive, you can save 15% right now today at checkout by entering the discount code rebelforce fifteen. That's Rebel Force 15. We thank our good friends at WeLoveFine.com for their support of us here at Rebel Force Radio. Lots and lots and lots of ways that you can enjoy the fine programming coming out of Rebel Force Radio, whether it's our weekly show or our Clone Wars Declassified shows. Stitcher is one. No, Jimmy Max is a big fan of Stitcher. It's an award-winning free mobile app that lets you listen to all your favorite podcast shows like, of course, Rebel Force Radio. And allows you to discover new shows, the best of news, entertainment, sports, et cetera, all on demand. Download it for free today at Stitcher.com or in the Apple App Store. I believe it's also available for Android. Check it out. If you'd like to play with us in between shows, and we invite you to do so. You can email us, show at rebelforceradio.com. That's show at rebelforceradio.com. Voicemail line for you is 708-320-1RFR. That's 708-320-1737. Follow us on Twitter at RebelForceRadio or at Jimmy Mac Radio or at Jason Swank. Maybe I should change my handle to Jason Swank Radio. Feeling left out. There's a lot of radio going on. <laughs> Facebook. Our official Facebook page, facebook.com slash Radio. Great community of folks having a lot of fun discussions. And tell you what, we as soon as we hear news, we post it up there. So it's a really great news feed for you to follow. Not just us, but also a lot of our listeners, our frequent posters there. And as I said, really fun discussion and speculation about the future of Star Wars. iTunes, that's the place. You can subscribe to Rebel Force Radio. You get the weekly edition of the show as well as the Clone Wars Declassified episodes. You can also leave us a review on iTunes. Only one rule. Make it good. Official website coming soon, but in the meantime, head over to rebelforceradio.com. We've got a nice little media player that allows you to play it right there on your desktop or on your portable device like a cell phone or a tablet. As Jimmy mentioned earlier, we have another podcast we do together called Bondcast. Our two-part review of Dr. No is now available and complete. And as he said, for your ears only, this is a special mini-series that's taking a very deep look and listen into the music of the 007 franchise, film by film. This latest edition is looking at Dr. No, and I'll tell you what, I have... Never enjoyed a podcast quite like I enjoyed this one. It really is fantastic. It's a conversation between Jimmy Mack and Laird Malamed, and I learned so much. Just when you think you know everything there is to know about something like the Doctor Knows soundtrack, in comes a guy like Laird, who truly is a scholar when it comes to film music, and really knows his bond. Knows his John Williams in his Star Wars as well, but... uh, Save that for something else. Jimmy Mack, a podcasting machine, has got his... Another show that he does with his wife, Wendy Snyder, Snyder Marks Radio. You can check it out at SnyderMarksRadio.net. Big week in the Mac house. Michael <laughs> Mack picking out his classes for high school. Might that be an issue on Snyder Marks?
1: Well, you never know. It could be anything going on underneath this roof, but I can tell you this. It's Wendy's birthday this week, so just... You know, if it isn't tied down, tie it down now because there's going to be Hurricane Wendy blowing through any time, and so you'll be able to hear about that and a lot more on Snide Remarks Radio at
3: snideremarksradio.net. That's going to do it for us. We'll be back next week with a whole slew of more Star Wars news, rumors, innuendo, and some special guests. Till then, we'll see you online. Love you guys so much. For Rebel Force Radio, I'm Jason. I'm Jimmy Mack. And remember,
2: the Force will be with you always.
0: I can be a charming guy when I want to.